0: That's the world we live in. You know, we can get all religious and you know, I mean, act like we don't know. People do one of two things. They they fail to make the connection. Like, like they come in this place and in, into either a religious sidebar thing that when they leave, you know, they sort of switch mindsets, or people don't get rocked off of a proper evaluation and assessment of society. And before you know it, we can't even appreciate when somebody hits the nail on the button. And um, so but I like the fact that Jesus agrees with Mac and really it's the other way around. Mac is agreeing with Jesus. Uh, The world needs him. Jesus came on the scenes to his own, yet his own received them not. Jesus came on earth and said, you need me. And then he ran down basically the same thing as Mac's rhyme. He ran down basically, look at your politicians, look at your cops, uh, look at your friends, look at your families. You all need me and people do like people do today. They looked at him and laughed. Every now and then he flexed his abilities as a sign that he wasn't playing. Not only do you need me, but uh, let me show you what I'm capable of. And that sort of even gets us back to what we're in today because the problem is people don't see their need for Jesus people don't they don't see Jesus's ability to meet their needs and to fill and fulfill and satisfy them and so people look with these blank stares like you're just talking words and Jesus is like okay well in addition to my words here's my works Yet if you can't, if you you don't have the eyes to see, and through disbelief and a hardness of heart and a failure to connect what Jesus has been doing with what Jesus has always said, you'll just grow in disbelief, grow in short-sightedness, and then wait for the moment when Jesus finished talking to go and just do what you've always been doing. But today, since we have a whole room full of people, I pray today that we will hear the words of Jesus about our need for Jesus, that we will believe and recognize that we're all blind, but not beyond belief. If you believe, the Bible says, that that is a sign that not only is God working in your life, but that's the means by which more sight is given. We're going to see that today, chapter 9. Father, be merciful right now. Penetrate your people's hearts. Uh, Make it an aroma and not a stench to them, Lord God. Give them uh, a delight in you, a delight in your servant, a delight in your word, Lord God. Let this just be a continuation of what has been happening as we sing praises to you and then a rap that, I mean, that echoes and amens you up and down. I pray that the people... Uh, Of this church and the people who are visiting us, Lord God, will be excited uh, that your truth reigns, that your truth has not been lost, but your truth is being preserved. The gospel, which has been entrusted to the saints once for all, uh, we're contending for it. We're going to fight for it, Lord God. Uh, Excite us about that, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Last week, um, as we trekked through John, the um, striking footage of the words and works of Jesus Christ, we were in chapter 9. Chapter 9, we saw Jesus' concern for blindness in the context, but in overall, Jesus' concern for our good, for humanity's good. Uh, We saw that because he was on his way to wherever he was on his way to, and he took note of a blind man, which the blind and the poor were a dime a dozen, yet Jesus noticed them out of a concern for his good. We know that because he went beyond just meeting a physical need but a spiritual need. We also saw that he's concerned about his glory, because he said the whole reason why I get to capitalize on this man's uh, um, c- condition is because God gets a chance to shine his glory in these kinds of scenarios. So we saw his concern. We also saw his commitment to bring cure to blindness or his commitment to bring solution to the things that he's concerned about. A lot of us say we're concerned, but we don't have either the time or the opportunity to do anything about what we say we're concerned. Concerned about Jesus was committed and he used a, a word or a term that he uses a couple times in John, a few times in John, we must. Speaking of divine obligation, not, well, I wish I could, well, I, you know, but God hasn't called me. For him it was, I must. This is exactly what I was called for, to do something about the very things that I see. Doing the works of him who sent me. What are the works? The works were the things that the Father planned for Jesus to do that would shout out to the world. That Satan doesn't get the last word or the last laugh. See, in the garden, it looked like Satan had struck and it was checkmate. But the Lord Jesus showed him no, it's not checkmate, it was just check. And so now Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and when he comes, it's checkmate for the devil. So when Jesus came, according to Isaiah 61 and many other passages, he says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to solve blindness issues. I'm going to solve lameness issues. When I come, I'm going to proclaim liberty to captives. I'm going to solve slavery issues. I'm not only going to solve the physical, I'm going to solve the spiritual. Many people came solving the physical before, but nobody else... Could come and solve the spiritual realities that the physical things were just a symptom of or an illustration of. Are you all with me? Jesus' commitment was in the fact that he said not only must we work, but... We must work while it's day. We must be hustlers in our work. It's one thing to start off on a job and then fall asleep and say, dag, I didn't finish. It's another thing for you to pull an all-nighter because you must finish. Jesus says, yo, I must finish, even if it means I lose sleep. I must finish, even if it means that I don't go on vacation this year. I must finish while it is day, says, because there is going to come a time when the buzzer is going to go, eh, and you won't be able to work anymore. And none of us know when our time comes, but may we be about it. Work a commitment to the cure. Then we also say that he controls the cure. It's one thing to care. It's another thing to be committed to doing something about it. It's another thing to run out of ideas on how to do something about it. Jesus never runs out of ideas. Jesus never is uh, sideswiped by, and dag, I had planned to, but man, ever since, it's like us. We were about to go in and we had to do a... a um, uh, we had a ministry engagement in Toledo. The only thing is, who could foresee that we'd have an ice storm? An ice storm that we really didn't see too much of. We were looking outside, as a matter of fact, when they canceled our flight. Like, I don't get it. We went outside. We had on just a long sleeve shirt. We were chilling, but we had to go home because we couldn't get around the fact that we couldn't fly. And then they said, okay, well, why don't we? We said, why don't we just rent something? And then we rent and said, oh, wait a minute. In Lancaster, they're starting to get all right. Well, we can't drive. And then we had to basically say, oh, forget it. You know, we wanted to be there. We were committed to being there. We were eager to take a 10-hour trip there. The only problem is we couldn't even get there by driving, see? So all of our caring and all of our commitment still fell short because we couldn't pull it off. We didn't control the circumstances. Jesus never comes to that. Jesus always looks and says, not only do I care, not only am I committed, but I'm in control of every variable. So I don't care if you were blind from birth or if you lost it at I don't care if you're not pregnant today. You can be pregnant tomorrow. I don't care if your hand is withered. I'm able to restore it. I don't care if you run out of wine. Just give me some water. I'll give you some more. I don't care. Jesus is like, I'm in control of this. The world needs a Jesus who's not just concerned but capable. How do you think we do this, people? We're not talking about another dude that had a nice run and then got gunned down. That's not what we're talking about. You ever see those movies where you think they're going to get away? Carlito's Way style. Anybody see Carlito's Way? Don't. It's kind of bloody. But, I mean, we ain't talking about the dude that right as he's getting ready to get away. Get shot. And everybody's like, dang, but at least he killed it. While he was alive, he did well. And so today... The ramifications of the Lord Jesus. And all of this is found in the story, just so you won't get lost in all of these, these, these observations. This is traditionally the story of the man born blind who was healed. Everything I told you comes out of this story. Well, the story doesn't end with the man getting his sight. The story um, actually just gets started. So let's look at it. We're going to look at a very extended piece. We're going to go from 8 all the way to 41. Um, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it real quick so you'll get the story as a whole. Then we'll unpack it. 8 of chapter 9. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and I washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, what was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes? So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received this sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, "Mm, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received this sight until they called the parents of the man who had received this sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is Junior. This is our son. And we know he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. I mean, he grown. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been born been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, though, I was blind. Now I see. They said to him, Well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Wait, you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken through Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man then said, hmm, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes? do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped them. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Lord, open our eyes to appreciate your truth. If you catch that as a, as a story, perhaps now you're just able to visualize a scene, the Lord Jesus Christ walking in his day, out to offer himself to people who need him. i like to begin by looking back at the top, starting verse 8. And the first thing I want to notice is the wonder of Christ and his work. The wonder of Christ and his work. Let me tell you why I say that. We open this, I guess, portion of the story with neighbors amazed that somebody... Who they always knew was blind is now not blind. The wonder of his work. The sense of amazement. Is this? Uh, Nah. But he looks like him. Wait. And he has to come in and say, Nah, it's me. Now we don't know what he, he did from the time he got sight. I don't know if he went and shaved up. You know what I'm saying? If he went and you know hooked himself up, like man, I ain't never know I was looking like that because I was always blind. I better hook myself up. And cats are like, dang, looks like him, but I ain't never seen him with a shape up. <laughs> this sense of wonder. You see us? We read the story and we just keep it moving. My, my, one of my professors in school used to always say, nod your head, because, like, he'd be dropping all this weight, and people would be looking sort of like some of y'all are looking at me. And he'd say, like, did you hear me? Nod your head. We're talking about a man who got up from the grave, and everybody, you know, and, then like, they always had some, some, like, there's a couple of us in there that's from, you know, more rowdy environments. So we should be like, hey, man, you know, you look, because it's a conservative school, so you look for a chance to, like, get rowdy. Hey, man, that's what I'm saying. The wonder of Christ and His work. we don't even use that word. That's not even a part of our. You never say, "Yo man, are you amazed at the wonder?" <laughs> like we don't use that. Y'all was wondering if you was digging the wonder of it. We say stuff like, "Yo, he blew my top." But that's synonymous. The mind-blowingness of Jesus and His work makes you say, like Nicodemus. Yo, I came all the way out here at night because you always are all crowded, hustle, bustle, because I'm blown away. We know that you're a teacher come from God. Because nobody could do these mind-blowing things like you. The wonder. I looked up the word just because I said, I don't even really understand the definition. Just that which causes amazement and astonishment. Jesus is like, yo, I do things that blow your wig. The wonder. We lose the wonder because so many people make the things, the, both the words and the works of God, something that's just casual. They're always counterfeiting words and works of God. You know, God told me we use that so flippantly that we never know when God really tells anyone anything. The works of God come at three o'clock. I'm given to show you a work of God. We can time it. People have every week they doing works of God right on cue. Like there's no wonder in it. But these neighbors had wonder. In the Greek, they basically said, isn't it this the man? And it expects a affirmative answer. Yet they weren't ready to commit because they were still blown. The wonder of Christ and his work. You remember Pharaoh's magicians? They weren't impressed with Moses till they were like as long as they were able to do it. They weren't impressed. A snake? Oh, we can do the snake trick. Yo, the snake trick. No, 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 the the snake trick. It wasn't until their tricks ran out and Moses kept going. Then they went back to Pharaoh like, "You, we better reconsider this. You say, well, what's so wonderful about the work of Jesus? Well, one, the old gets eclipsed by the new. The old gets eclipsed by the new. Look what they said. Is not this the man who used to sit? I like the way the NAS says it. It says, the one they previously had seen. They said, is not this the dude who used to sit and beg? But then they say, then how were your eyes opened? It's almost like when Jesus did what he did what he was now was becoming eclipsed by what he is it's like you used to be the dude that sat and begged now you're the guy with the eyes that are open you used to be the cat who couldn't see but now you're one who sees We used to see you demoralized and hopeless, looking for somebody to give you something. Now when I go by, I notice you looking at me and you didn't ask me for anything. The old being eclipsed by the new, the wonder of his work. You see, sight changes everything. Both physical and spiritual sight changes everything. So this man was changed and who he had been and what he had been doing now was being eclipsed by the new him. The dude that was doing something different. And applicationally, we ought to ask ourselves, is anybody in here new because of Jesus? Is anybody in here different? You know, when I was younger, I used to pray and ask Christ to come into my life every day. Because, quote unquote, nothing happened. And you probably used to, man, you you asked him over and over again because nothing happened. There are people in certain traditions of Christianity that look for a second thing to happen to signify a before and an after. Here, there was no need for anything. The original meeting with Jesus was so awe-striking that the old had been eclipsed by the new. The wonder of his work, but not only is the old eclipsed by the new, verse 10 to 12 shows us that the how gets eclipsed by the who wasn't trying to rhyme, it just happened that way. Look at it 10. So they asked him, Well, then, uh, where is it? Oh, here it is. They asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made the mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. We went from how did he do it to who did it? See, the wonder of Jesus is when he moves on the scene, the old gets eclipsed by the new and the hows gets eclipsed by the who. They went to, Yo, well, how did he do this? The man said, a man named Jesus. Well, where is he? They didn't go back to, how did he do it again? They got lost to, wait a minute. I hear the how. Who was able to do that? The wonder of Christ and his work. The person begins to eclipse the methods. That's why signs in the Bible, you never get stuck on the signs because the signs are the how. The signs are pointing to the person, the who. The wonder of Christ and his work. I don't know about you all, but the beauty of heaven, you know, sometimes we talk about going to heaven. And I remember a teacher making sure he says, yo, why do you why are you rushing to get to heaven? You don't seem like you even like to hang out with God now. You know, when you get there, that's who's there. He said, the issue of heaven is not a place. The issue of heaven is a who. He said, my wife died. He says, I don't even want, I'd sold my house. You know why? Because a who was missing. And some of us, we've got all the hows, but no who. We're ministry experts. Our Christianity is a series of religious routines, but really our hearts disengage from a who. When Christ blows your top, the hows lose to the who, the old. Gets lost in the new. But not only do we see the wonder of his work, 13 to 23 shows us enemies of Christ and his work. You know they're always going to be lurking. Verse 13 says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who was a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them, enemies of Christ and his work. By now, you ought to be, if you've been trekking with us through John, you ought to know when the Pharisees show up, the enemies of Christ and his work are on the scene. Now, it's true that not all Pharisees were bad, and they we're going to see that there was even a division among them. Nicodemus, who was at least friendly to Jesus, he uh, was a Pharisee. There was a lot of people who were divided in the Pharisee camp. But what we see here is that generally speaking, when John writes his gospel, the Pharisees are normally those who are against Jesus, enemies of Christ and his work. And the reason why they're enemies is because they have a sacred cow. Now, the sacred cow was their own concepts, their own ideas. And so the Pharisees come on the scene and it says, before he gets to the showdown with Jesus Christ and the Pharisees, Pete John Stees, he slips in. Oh, let me tell you this; then you'll understand why there was friction. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when he healed them. Now we're not we're not necessarily on that like on the Sabbath anymore. John's telling a story, but by the time the blind man and the impact and the wonder of what happened to him hits, now people are looking for a, a, an expert answer. So they go to the Pharisees, the religious big shot, to say, wait a minute, explain this to me, because I'm blown by the wonder of what happened to him. So the Pharisees get in and they start asking him, but it was a Sabbath, so they're already upset. And they say, wait a minute, and they start asking him again and again, how did he read his, his, uh, receive his sight? And so we see here three things about the enemies of Christ and his work. One, they don't believe. Two, they won't believe. And three, they like it when others don't and won't believe. One, they don't believe. Two, they won't believe. Three, they like it when you don't believe. Let's look at how this plays out. Verse 15, then the Pharisees were asking him again how he received this sight. He said he applied clay to my eyes and I washed the sea. First of all, you can't see this, but in the original language, basically this is a a, a a repeated asking. They weren't just like, "Yo, tell me the word." Oh, okay. This was an interrogation. They were asking him again and again, and they just they they. This is that doubtful asking, the the asking of an enemy who who doesn't believe. This is that curl your lips up, eyes get big type asking, like, he how'd, you, how'd, it, how'd it happen? How'd it happen? Wait, wait. He put what on your eyes? Like, you're not asking me. You want me to switch my story up. They don't believe, and you see it because they kept asking him. We look at this, and we see not only that they don't believe but they even won't believe It's one thing if you don't believe and then somebody hook you up with a banging explanation but when that's not good enough for you and you really have no reason to refute the explanation now it's not you don't believe it's you won't believe so look what it says here the man tells them again how it happens and he says look he put mud on my eyes Told me to go wash. I washed. Now I see. And you, the narrative seems to show you like the drainingness of a refusal to believe. He seems drained. He probably started off telling people the story all hype. I'm telling you, I was just chilling. I ain't even ask him. I just heard these dudes asking, yo, who's sinned this man or his parents? I was like, I know they ain't talking to me, you know what I'm saying? Because I ain't sinned. I know I ain't sinned. Just because I was born blind, I used to wrestle with insecurity. but And so he was like, and so, yo, all of a sudden, I just heard this little rustling down. I heard somebody go, ah, to it. I was like, oh, man, what happened? Listen, you know this cake got on my eyes, and this man said, go to the Pool of Siloam and wash. Man, I didn't even know what direction the Pool of Siloam was, but somebody pointed me. So I went and, and I hit my knee right. He, he probably went through all these elaborate stories. By the time they like, tell me the story again. Now he's cut down to, look, he put some mud on my eyes. I wash and I see. The drainingness of disbelief. And some of you have been out there witnessing with people. Cut you off. Say the same thing over and over again. You tell them, but wait, wait. Well, where God come from then? I told you he's eternal. He what? Now but where did he come from, though? <laughs> by the time you finish, you're like, look. Christ died on the cross for sinners. Trust in him or go to hell. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, that's how it gets sometimes. Before, you were all like, but wait, wait. wait but, but see, but God, by his spirit, like, you just get straight to it. They don't believe they won't believe. But the reason why they won't believe is because they like what they think about God more than they like what God says about God. That's, good. That's all of us. That's good. We like our theology more than we like what God has revealed. Like, we really like our theology. I mean, granted, you should like your theology. You should... Be confident that what we say about what God has said about Himself is accurate. So, but you think you, but Jesus comes on the scene to tell them what you think about God is wrong. Because there's three ways that they felt Jesus discredited Himself from being a, a solid man of God. He broke the Sabbath in their eyes in, in at least three ways. One, it was basically, and this didn't come from God, but. Basically, Jewish leaders had surmised that you couldn 't heal on the Sabbath unless it was life or death. started as a good intention it 's like Bible colleges i don 't know what they 're like now, but when I first started like you couldn 't do laundry on Sunday, um, a lot of them, they were trying to they were trying to honor the concept of Sabbath, which is a great concept. The principle still is good for us today. Uh, we usually violate it, and so, but may God help us to step it up however. Uh, one, they were like, you couldn't heal. So if, if it wasn't life or death, you had to leave somebody in their state. Now, we know that the Sabbath and Jesus proved that, one, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Two, I explain what the Father meant by Sabbath. Whenever Jesus stepped on the scene, he came to tell you what God meant was this. And he didn't just do it with his words. He did it with his actions. And so, he, uh, so Jesus is on the scene. And he's explaining what God meant, and these dudes refuse to bow their tradition down to the one who explains the Father. Remember, no one has seen God, but God, the only Son, he has made him known. That's the word exegete, or he has revealed who he is, right? So, one, he, uh, he, he broke the Sabbath to them by healing on it. Two, you couldn't need need like you couldn't make dough. So there couldn't be no mama biscuits on Sabbath. You had to make that the night before because you couldn't need, which that's rolls, but don't worry. And they're like, ah, my wife probably like, you don't need biscuits. You need rolls, dough for rolls. And then there was a discrepancy. You couldn't anoint the eyes on the Sabbath. I mean, that one is iffy because even they were divided. But this is not what God said. So when Jesus comes on the scene and does clearly what Messiah is supposed to do, which is give sight to the blind, which is do good for people, even if it's on Sabbath, because the Sabbath is meant for you to enjoy and imitate God on it. They didn't want that. Now, I said that they don't believe the enemies of God won't believe the enemies of God don't like it when you believe. And we're going to see how that plays out. They like what they came up with better. I like our comment on the Sabbath law. Then we like the spirit of the Sabbath law. And so this idea of them being enemies, the reason why I use that strong term is because we don't like to believe God has enemies. Most of us, we don't talk like that. We don't say in the enemies of God. We don't. We get in front of crowds and everyone everyone means well, everybody's. But I like the way Philippians 318 says It says, for many walk of whom I told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. The way they live their lives, the things that they say, the things they popularize are enemies of the way of the cross. One of the things that makes prosperity theology that's not biblical, the biblical. Idea of prosperity is one thing, but what became popular, what became popular is it became an enemy of the way of the cross. The cross says, don't look for your crown before your cross. Don't look for reaping before sowing. Don't look for health, wealth and perfect health and perfect wealth before you go through and before God finally comes and brings people what he's taking them to through a certain path called the way of the cross. Well, for them, their coming in Jesus Christ is the means by which people benefit from the cross. They are living as enemies of the cross. We live as enemies of the cross or enemies of the mind of Christ. Paul says, yo, we go against stuff that raises itself up against God's wisdom. Now, God's wisdom often looks like foolishness to us. That's why we go against it so easily. So Jesus is looking at them and saying, you all are are enemies of God's way. I'm here doing God's way. I am God who's are uh, imitating the Father, and here you are frustrated with me trying to kill me. And that's, how, that's the kind of world we live in. And I don't care how loving we are, how many, like, how much special effects we put with it. They're going to be people who won't like God's way. Because they'll like what they think about God more than they like the truth about God. I think we all have to do a self-check and say, am I an enemy of God? Am I living as an enemy of God? Am I putting up barriers he wants down? Or am I creating bridges across gaps that he's left there to keep us from? Let's read. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said... He is a prophet. Once again, they don't believe. They're still asking him the same stuff. And they won't believe. 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. This idea of uh, they don't see, they won't see. Remember I said they also like it when others don't believe. The reason why they kept interrogating is because they knew Jesus was getting popular and they didn't want that. And that's what enemies of Christ do. They don't mind if other groups blossom. They don't want Christians to blossom. And so, look, you see they bring the parents in, and they almost intimidate the parents. And so the parents quickly, sensing the the intimidation, because it sort of works with them. I'm not going to jump and big Jesus up like my son. So what do the parents say? Look, I'll tell you he is my son. I'll tell you he was blind. But I don't know any more of that. But John narrates. They knew more than they were affirming it's just that they fear the Jews, it says. You see, the Pharisees like it when they, they don't believe and then they make it so that you don't believe. Matthew twenty three thirteen. 13. I'm going to read a couple of passages. Matthew twenty three thirteen says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because, of, because, of you sh- because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter it in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Jesus says, see, Pharisees, y'all don't, y'all don't want the life I bring, and you don't like it when other people get the life that I bring. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23, 15. You travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. So see, you, you, you snatch somebody up. And then you make them worse than you. Which is why when I come and make people better, you get frustrated. Hmm. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He basically says, y'all are experts at stuff that has nothing to do with justice and mercy and faithfulness. I'm here opening eyes of people who've been blind from birth. And you're trying to discredit what I'm doing. Enemies of the heart, the work and the intentions of God. The man is having a different experience. The man who was healed from blind is progressing in his boldness and progressing in his sight. He goes from a man named Jesus to he's a prophet. What do you think? I think he's a prophet. And he's willing to stand up to people. His parents don't want any problems. And that brings us to our next point, the repercussions of his work. The repercussions of his work. The wonder of Christ in his work, the enemies of Christ in his work, the repercussions of Christ's work. There are consequences and repercussions for trusting Christ. Look, so the second time they called the man who'd been blind and he said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know that I was blind, now I see. The man is getting further interrogated because he's standing for Christ. The man's parents have left him on his own The man is getting continually insulted because later on it's going to say, and they reviled him. And he's booted from the synagogue. Now, that was the seat of comfort for the Jew. And now that he's because he was blind, he was already outside the synagogue just on the begging mission. Now he has his sight. And now he probably always wanted to be in the house. Like we were saying, one thing I desire is to be where you are for the Jews to be where you are meant to be in the temple. And so this guy here is booted from the little, like the, the, what was the temple equivalent when you weren't at the big temple, you went to synagogue. Now he's booted from the very place, all as a repercussion for receiving the grace of God. There's a repercussion to the work of Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Like Acts 14, Paul went around strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith, telling them that through the kingdom, through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. There are repercussions for being pro-Jesus. And that's like if we don't embrace the repercussions and if we don't preach the repercussions, we will ne- we will flock to. Pretty Christianity that's not real. We will love it when we're at places that have all the bells and whistles. We'll love it when we're around people who look totally successful and never look afflicted. The prophet Isaiah says, yo, we looked at Jesus and we thought he's smitten of God. He can't be the cat we should be following. Every time he turn around, something bad's happening. He ducking through crowds and. People picking up stones to stone. Who wants to hang with a guy who's always in trouble? First Thessalonians three twenty three, We sent Timothy, our brother, in God's fellow work in the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that none of you would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were destined for them. This man seems to be getting in more hot water the more he stands for Christ. And so you and I must take note. They said, listen, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So now this is disbelief with a religious twist. Now they want to give God the glory. (laughs) Give glory to God. You know that we know that this man is a sinner. Now, these are the religious big shots. So they should know. Like I was saying this morning, the man says whether he's a sinner or not, I'm not sure. Like I'm not the theologians that y'all are. Y'all are the religious big wigs here. But I'll tell you what I do know. I was blind and now I see. A lot of unbelievers have a, developed a nice religious spell with it. So me and my man was, um, me and Ange, actually, we were um, standing out in front of McDonald's. And so this girl came and asked me for some drugs. And so she was like, yo, you guys, I was like, nah. I said, I'm in Jesus Christ. I said, that's all I have out here. And she heard me. She said, what? Jesus. Oh, I go to church. I go. To, and then she starts getting all loud. Now she whispered to me. "You, you got some... Now all of a sudden now I got try. I go to church every Sunday. But I said, man, well, you know, I would have never known that for what you just asked me. I don't know. And by the way, you got a girlfriend now that she's all off on that. I'm like sin with a religious twist. And that's that's the Pharisees right now. Give glory to God. This man's a sinner blind man says, you know, I don't have the insight y'all have. I just know I was blind. Now I see and I like what I said he stole my thunder because before, you know, weighty theology, before you make it through covenant community classes, before you understand sanctification, and ecclesiology and uh, missional church and all of the big stuff, you should at least know the difference between when you were blind and now that you're saved. People think, man, y'all always think everybody got to be all deep like y'all. Every rapper ain't got to. And I'm like, no, we don't. We just want to hear that you understand blindness and sight. I listen to your music. I can't tell. This man said, look, everybody knows it. That's why I'm in this mess. He says, and I'll tell you this. I don't know about this man's sinful state. He's really being sarcastic. We're going to see. Because they said to him, what did he do to you? How do you open your eyes? How many times have we heard this? He answered, I've told you already. You don't want to listen. Once again, they will, they don't and they won't. You would not listen. He says, why do you want to hear it again? Then he starts messing with them. Do you want to become his disciples? Here it is again, the drainness of disbelief. You're asking me the same stuff. He gets this uh, sarcastic because in the Greek, once again, it's written in a way where he expects a negative answer. So he asked them, you want to be his disciples? But the way it's written, you understand he, he, he knows the answer is no. They don't want others to believe. They revile him and they're mad at him because they can't shake him off the believing path. The enemies of Christ we're talking about. You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken through Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. But this man now goes from what he doesn't know to what he does know and says, wait a minute. I'm getting the sense that you all are hypocrites. He says, let me tell you what I do know. Look what he says. The man answered verse 30. Hmm. This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. So this is a no name that healed me. I thought a big shot would have hurt me. I thought like the one that everybody understands. He says, so you don't even know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. He says, now there's something we should all know. We know verse 31 that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God, does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Man, if he was who y'all said he was, he could do nothing. The man is getting bold now. He's aggravated, but he's starting to get emboldened like, y'all are not going to pull me down your trail. Like, now I'm seeing it's a conspiracy. You don't want to believe that he is who he is. He says, come on, we all know. That God tunes out people who have a life whose lives are characterized by sin? Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. He says, we know this. I like the way Isaiah says, the first chapter, Isaiah, God says, listen, I'm tired of your religion. I'm tired of your lambs. I'm tired of your bulls. I'm tired of your goats. You're you're doing evil. He says, I'm not even going to listen to you. So the man was right in that theology. And then they said, verse 34, you were born in utter sin and you teach us and they cast them out. People, I don't care how wonderful Christ's work is, there will always be enemies of Christ and his work. In the moment, because there are enemies of Christ and his work, head by Satan, the chief enemy of Christ and his work, there will be repercussions for your faithfulness to Christ and his work. Nothing strange is happening to us. When life gets more turbulent, the more we stand fast to Christ and his work. And so the transforming work may introduce you to troubles that you didn't ask for, parents leaving you, you, the, the, the work of Christ sometimes, causes you see him, he's all on his own. Security being shaken in terms of being thrown out of the synagogue. Haters may harass you because of Christ. But then that leads us to the last thing. The blessing of believing in Christ and his work. Remember, we're all blind, but not beyond belief. It says here, after they cast him out it says jesus heard that he they had cast him out and having found him he said do you believe in the son of man he answered who is he sir that i may believe in him jesus said to him you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you he said lord i believe and he worshipped him Verse 35 says, and when Jesus, after hearing it, when he found them, implies that, A, when the world booted him out, Jesus Christ took him in. This idea of, I know it may be rough, but Jesus Christ, is, so where's the hope in all of this? You always have these weighty points. Where's the hope? Well, here's the hope. The blessing of believing in Christ and his work, because belief is the key to the blessing of God. It says here, Jesus brings his uh, his sight into full circle now, because the man goes from this man called Jesus to calling Jesus a prophet to arguing with the religious experts that Jesus is a miracle worker who has to have heard from God because he wouldn't be able to do this if he hadn't. Now he goes, sir, tell me who the son of man is. Jesus says, it's me. And he calls him Lord. Now, sir and Lord, the God. Or master of the same word, Lord and Lord. However, the first one is sir because he didn't know who Jesus was. When Jesus says, I'm the son of man, then he switches it and says, Lord, meaning master, Adonai. The reason why we know that is simply because he then worships him. Now, what this is a picture of is progressive sight. Or sight being perfected. Hebrews calls Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, meaning he starts our faith and he grows our faith. And one day he perfects our faith so that the faith is a a faith that actually becomes saving faith. And now look at this sight to at least defend Jesus, at least argue, risk his synagogue place for Jesus. Now sight to fall down and worship. And if it never gets to the point where you fall down and worship, then it's not perfected sight. The blessing of belief. This dude got a personal call from Jesus. (laughs) This guy gets comforted by Jesus. And now he gets life from Jesus. So now he has two sights. The physical sight from Jesus Christ and now spiritual sight. And as we get as we close, the idea here is if the belief is the is the key to the blessing, disbelief is the key to you being banned from the blessing. Look at verse thirty five. Jesus heard that they cast them out. Verse thirty six. He answered. Who is he? First? No, skip down to thirty eight. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. Then Jesus says this, verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. That's the blessing. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The story of the man... Born blind is the story of one who started blind but who ended up seeing. The Pharisees said, We're not blind, and at the end of this story, they're more blind than they ever have been. And the idea here is he that believes, John 3 18 says, is not condemned. He that does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so today, y'all, as we are trekking through John, we see the wonder of Christ in his work. Mind-blowing work for him to give us sight. Mind-blowing work for him to enlighten us and take us from hostile to God, hostile to things of uh, of spiritual consequence, to being favorable to them, wanting to work in ministry instead of just jobs that you know pay money, wanting to marry godly persons, not just people that you think are a dime piece, wanting to embrace communities that love Jesus and treasure him rather than just cool clicks. Sight, the wonder of it. Sometimes that wonder... Makes people get upset because you're not who you used to be and and your light is shining on the darkness they prefer. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So you come around and you represent light now. Enemies of Christ and his work. Repercussions. You lose that boyfriend. You lose that girlfriend because they can't take the new you. Your parents are not as favorable at your decisions because they don't understand the moves you make based on the sight that Christ has given you to see his work and appreciate it. But the blessing, he embraces you, he holds you, he secures us. And at the end, your sight increases. And your ability to enjoy him increases. And your ability to remain focused on him increases. Finally, he perfects it. And one day faith will give way to sight. If you reject Jesus Christ in light of all that we are hearing, in light of all that you know to be true, the Bible says you're like the person who sees but then becomes blind. And he says he comes... And some people get sight when he shows up. Other people get blind when he shows up. Who are you today? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful.